0: Anyway, Johnny, it's good to see you again. And uh, uh,
1: you told me that you have seen some videos about um, anchors and things, devices that we can use throughout the day to remember, to help us remember. Mm-hmm. So, because the main skill that we're going to develop is the skill of sati. That's the most important skill in the sense that If you don't remember to practice or to put into play your skills, then what's the use of having those skills? Mm. Yes. Okay. Uh, An example of that, in in fact, is um, there is a case now where a young man has just been shot and killed by a female police officer who mistook her gun for a taser thinking that she was using a taser when in fact she shot him with her gun, right? Mm -hmm. That's a very interesting thing. I can understand that cops get into the heat of the moment and they lose all of their mindfulness, all of their awareness and act completely by instinctual Mm -hmm. uh, behavior. We all do that. Cops are very good at it. That's why they're hired as cops because they're, let us say, not smart people. Smart Mm -hmm. people get smart jobs And um, people who react uh, to things are hired as police because Mm -hmm. they react, okay? And this is a case of it to where this cop didn't even think about it long enough to recognize what kind of weapon do I have in my hand? Yes. This is a very clear uh, point of that she needed mindfulness. She needed to wake up and look what she had in her hand. And her whole life has changed because of one mind one mind moment when she had no mindfulness. It's
2: a kind um, of um, kind of uh, compulsiveness rather than a conscious decision. Um.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, what we learn is over time, uh, by by applying this, one of the things that we come to understand is, my, how much of the time each one of us spends, in kind of an automatic behavior, a pre-programmed behavior. In fact, the, uh, the pre-programming was done right down into the DNA. This is why we call it instinctual behaviors because it's built right into the DNA. But uh, we were also born as humans And that gives us the ability to wake up to not have to follow our DNA. That we have the frontal cortex. We are humans and we can do that. The problem is, is that we have to wake up to that. We have to come out of our uh, animal brain or out of our reptilian brain or out of our more primitive brain. And remember to wake up and put into service the highest part of the brain we've got, the frontal cortex become human to to look at what we're doing to figure out what's going on. The more often we practice sati, the more often we practice this mindfulness the more we begin to understand that uh, let us say uh, after a, a thousand mind moments of mindfulness we begin to recognize hey in the past ten thousand moments only a moment only a hundred of them were moments of mindfulness and the other 9,900 were in fact automatic behavior and so the waking up process is the waking up to come out of our automatic instinctual behavior. Mm -hmm. Can you do it or not? The answer is certainly you can. This is something that every human can do and so that's why sati is so important as a skill to learn and we want to practice it often. Just sitting down and calling it meditation, and uh, trying to be mindful for a long time, like an hour or so, generally isn't very effective it because is not. the mind gets because the mind gets tired, yes. especially for beginners. Now, once you've been practicing it for years, you might be able to go uh, an hour or two hours uh, or three, but for the beginner trying to say, okay, I can do 20, I want 25. I got 25, I want 45. I got 45, I want an hour, okay? That is the kind of practice that will lead to less and less valuable results. In fact, wanting something that you don't have, like long meditation session, I can only sit 20 minutes and then my body is in pain, and so I write to Reddit, why do I have so much body pain? It's because you're sitting too long. (laughs) working too hard trying too much that what we need to do is to bring it back to where we can have it throughout the day Mm -hmm. and so there are a number of techniques that we can use for doing that the Buddha actually mentions uh, one of them in particular uh, in the sense of beginning to watch what our hands are doing to become a mindful of where the hands are and what they're doing because a lot of the stuff that we do is automatic. And I say automatic really, really buried deep into the brain. An example of that is a brand new tender infant that's only a day or two old has almost no control of the hands. You know, Mm -hmm. they wave them around or whatever like that, but almost no control. And yet, if by accident or by design from some really terribly minded, unwholesome person actually puts that baby's fingers or toes onto a very hot object or into a fire, the hand itself will draw back. Yes. The baby's hand will jump out. Isn't that amazing? Hmm. Even though the child is not capable of, of handling, and so this means at that level, the hands are... Already pre wired into a very primitive part of the brain. And that you can see uh, those activities in process when you see people in agitation. And one of the times that people will be in agitation is when they're waiting for something, like waiting at the airport or waiting for a train or waiting for the bus or waiting in the doctor's office. And that's when a lot of bodily movements will come out. People will shake their legs or they'll fidget with their hands, or they'll rub their face, they do all kinds of things like that, and all of it is completely mindless, mm-hmm. okay? Yes. But it doesn't mean that it has to be mindless, we just haven't bothered to train ourselves to be mindful of what our hands are doing. Mm-hmm. And so this is actually part of the postures, that the Buddha talks about all four postures, in the very, very beginning stage, he uh, the the instructions normally will say, and it's it's actually stated like this: go to a forest, or to a empty hut, or to a pile of straw, or to sit under a tree. Okay. And that's what's actually in the suttas, and the, uh, and the English language version of that follows along very well, except for sitting. And that's when the translators get into it, thinking that the Buddha is saying something that he's not, and that's when they put in words like cross-legged. Hmm. Right? Guess okay. what? In the suttas, there's no cross-legged.
3: Hmm.
1: Okay. It has to do with just sitting in whatever posture that you're in. The thing that the Buddha says is to keep the back erect.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And the reason for that is twofold. One is, is that if we're bent over, then that means that the bending part is subject to gravity, and gravity will actually pull us down, causing back pain. But if we sit up straight, then because we're sitting up straight, the gravity is pulling us straight down. And therefore, we can sit longer because we're sitting up straight. But we have to develop the muscles in order to do that so anytime that you see yourself slouching become aware of it or when the body starts to slouch sit back sit back up straight the other part of it is is that when we're slouched over which is like uh, at work slouched over a desk using a computer reading a book or something like that because we're slouched over our chest cavity is, is uh, obstructed but if we're sitting up straight then we can breathe really well. We can start breathing in the, uh, from the diaphragm and, and the chest so that if you have a fully deep breath, the diaphragm will extend, the chest will open, and even the shoulders will rise
3: mm-hmm.
1: on a long, deep breath. On normal challenge breathing, we hardly feel anything. Mm-hmm. Because we're so used to that kind of breathing, the sensations associated with it, we don't pay any attention to. But when we're beginning to breathe well and breathing deeply, then that means there's a whole lot of stuff for us to pay attention to. Well, guess Mm -hmm. what? The same thing is true with the hands. There's a whole lot of stuff to pay attention to. And that the way that the Buddha talks about it is like this. I've got something in my hand here that normally people just grab it. They don't think about it. They've got all the tools and techniques to just grab something and put it back. And in fact, they do that on the way to the toilet with their with their keys to their car, and then they forgot where they put their car keys.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Being mindful of what your hands are doing and what they're holding and whatnot is a very good memory system because when we're mindful, we're paying attention, and when we pay attention... The the information comes into the brain, and therefore we we have the chance to remember where we set the car keys down because we were mindfully setting them down rather than just dropping them off on the way to pick up the phone or go to the bathroom or whatever like that. So we become a whole lot less absent-minded, and we remember where we put things. Mm-hmm. An example also of that is is that when you begin to practice mindfulness, part of the thing that you want to do, start doing is to have a place for everything and everything stays in its place when it's not in use. So that when you finish the screwdriver, you put it back into the box where you keep screwdrivers,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? This mm-hmm. is what we're getting at, okay? So we don't just lay things down willy-nilly like people do, that we actually start living an organized life. Mm-hmm. And we begin to use that organized life or seeing that organized life by beginning to watch what our hands are doing. Mm-hmm. And we begin to note that I'm going to put the things back where they belong. where they ha- And when I say where they belong, they belong where I decide they belong. So I'm going to choose where things are kept and then we keep them there and guess what now you know where all your stuff is
0: Mm -hmm. right
1: yes but most people they don't have a clue where much of their stuff is because they don't remember putting it down right okay so back to the idea then when we pick stuff up we're actually going to make note of that in the sense that instead of just grabbing it we're actually going to slow it down and actually Uh, do it almost poetically or as if there was a dance, like this. And note when you touch it, what's the first thing that touches it? It was this finger over here this time. This is what touched it. But almost immediately, all the fingers are grabbing it, but this is the first thing that touched. Okay? So, and then we can pick it up. But when we come to set it back down again, we do that and then we open the hands and then let it go. When we go for that kind of mindfulness, we begin to understand how the hands work better. We remember where we put things and it's also uh, an opportunity to practice mindfulness, to wake up, to watch what we're doing, to be here now rather than to be in thought, lost in thought or on the way to someplace. That when we set the car keys down, we set them down right here, right now, mm-hmm. rather than on the way to someplace, because on the way means we may not know where it is. <laughs> right.
0: Um,
1: yes,
2: that does remind me of. Uh, so a friend of mine introduced me some months ago about uh, Gong Fu Tea, uh, which is a. Uh, a practice of drinking tea in a very a very
1: skillful way, very uh, paying really close attention to what we're doing. Paying close attention, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that's what makes it skillful, not that this is exactly every movement that's done right, but that you remember to do it right. Just like in uh, proper society, you don't drink a cup like this, you drink it like this and hold the pinky <laughs> out. All right. But you have to remember to do that,
2: mm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, so there's uh, all kinds of things to do and to pay attention to the um, the the touch, uh, grabbing the cup, touching the cup, dropping the cup on the on the tray again, and, uh, the color of the tea, the taste of the tea, uh, all kinds of like uh, movements that we do with our arms, how to properly drink, how to properly grab a cup, how to properly uh, brew the tea, how to uh, grab the gaiwan and uh, 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 transpose the tea from the gaiwan into the cup, and all kinds of um, all kinds of things to like pay attention to, how they how they feel, how they sound, uh, how they look like. And uh, it it reminded me of, uh, maybe I'm going a little bit on the tangent, I don't know, but I I wanted to just refer to this because uh, it reminded me when you mentioned the, the hands. The hands thing uh, of like feeling what touches first and all, all that stuff. And uh, it immediately reminded me of that um, mm-hmm. because uh, it's a practice I do every weekend
1: for a couple hours at least. <laughs> and uh, okay. yes. with a tea ceremony like that, you can now see with this, that that's actually just using the tea as an object and the ceremony as an opportunity to Absolutely. practice mindfulness. Absolutely. So in fact, yes, the tea ceremony is a, a, a meditation practice. Yes,
2: it, it is. It, it is exactly meditation practice. Yes,
1: I'm very aware of that. I,
2: and I like it very much too. It is another excuse to, to, to meditate
1: almost. All right, yeah. now there's an important point with this and that is just that um, this kind of activity like you doing a tea ceremony or like when the monks are chanting and other things like this are actually mindfulness exercises that uh, are quite useful or valuable because the mind is completely occupied in that tea ceremony or that the mind is occupied in the chanting of the Dhamma and the Dhamma is very wholesome And when we're very mindful of the tea ceremony, then that's also very wholesome. Now let's take that and oppose it to your average brand new meditator who walks into the meditation hall where other people are sitting down and he sits down. What does he have to do? He's got basically nothing to do except for the instructions of the meditation of mindfully breathe in and mindfully breathe out or noting and what the mind is not ready for uh, is that the mind generally wants some sort of occupation. Mm-hmm. And that when the mind is not occupied, it generally goes back to a default.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And that default was what uh, the, the Goenka people and has actually been known for centuries as the default for most of us is monkey mind. Yes. And so when people sit down in meditation, uh, their default position for sitting down is monkey mind. And the mind jumps here and it jumps there and it goes all over the place thinking about something. And more than likely, the place that the monkey is going to jump to, he's not going to stay there very long because it's actually not all of that comfortable. And generally, the monkey will jump again again looking for comfort or looking for security almost as if he's being uh, chased Mm -hmm. okay and so this is how the mind is so when we have a tea ceremony like that that gives us something to actually focus on or to actually do Mm -hmm. and so now we're paying close attention to the movements of the hand and the pouring of the tea and the feeling of the warmth and and also with this That means that now much of our sensory input is no longer sensory input with the default, which for most Westerners, it's the eye. But now we're actually spending a lot of thought moments feeling the touch sensation of the hands. This is also a a much of part of a regular sitting meditation with or without the uh, the cup of tea to hold. It's still to start paying attention to the touch and the sensations of the body, Mm -hmm. the breathing. uh, Goenka talks about it in the sense of the touch of the cloth. As you're breathing in, your chest will rise and the cloth will will have a slight movement. You should be able to feel that. Then in fact, you should be able to feel it in the back. Also, when the touch of the cloth begins to move with a deep breath, you can actually feel the shoulders rise. Mm -hmm. They yes. rise just a little bit, just a little yes. bit when you're breathing deeply. And you can feel the whole shirt move because the shoulders are rising. Mm-hmm. Okay, So beginning to pay attention to what the body is doing and paying attention to what the hands are doing is, is part of the function of coming out of that discursive thought. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to stop the discursive thought. The discursive thought is going to continue to roll on. The question is, is it wholesome or not?
0: Right.
1: Okay, because most of the, uh, the meditation methods that are taught are not taught uh, to change the contents of the mind, but merely be aware of them or noting them. Mm-hmm. Okay, well just like the noting of the hands and what we were doing, I'm not just noting that I'm taking it. No. I'm actually now intentionally slowing down. I'm actually taking an effort so that I can really bring up the sati. Mm-hmm. I, yes. This is what it's all about. That This is an important point that's missing in Western societies of uh, Western Buddhism. And that is, how much effort do we have to put in? The answer is enough, Mm -hmm. enough to get the job done, and for some people that can be quite a lot, Mm -hmm. all right, but it's not uh, too much that many people, in fact, because they're um, not putting in the right kind of effort, they wind up putting in too much of the wrong kind of effort. And so what we want to talk about is the kind of effort that it takes to wake up, investigate to see what the mind is doing, what kind of thoughts we're having. And then once we've defined that this thought is not worth having, we now have to take the effort to throw that thought out. Just like we're taking the effort to slow the hands down and to get to feel the touch, just like when we're breathing, we want to breathe deeply. All of these are active things that we have to do. Mm -hmm. This is not a passive meditation. Right. Mahasi looks more passive or uh, what I'm, what I mean by uh, Mahasi is the way that Mahasi himself taught, uh, that became Western and known as Mahasi. Mm -hmm. But actually, no, Mahasi did not teach that way, that he taught to uh, the the language that is in uh, the document that I have of Mahasi is, is he says to jump on or to fall upon or to seize or to confront whatever object of meditation you have. In the case of the hands, you have to actually start to control what your hands are doing. Not just be mindful of what the hands are doing, but to control them, to start putting limits or boundaries on them. For instance, one of them, a very wholesome one, would be, do not touch the face with the hands without the full intention of doing so. Mm-hmm. Okay, especially with COVID. A one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do not scratch. Mm-hmm. Okay, it would be another one. That, in fact, this is, a, this is actually a bomb, and what I would say is, is that any time that you have a scratch, that the thing that you automatically should do is say, let us put a medication on it, not scratch it. Mm-hmm. The dog scratch because it itches. Humans mostly scratch because it itches, only because they're using the same part of the brain that the dog is using. I don't like it, I don't like it, I don't like it, you know?
3: Mm.
1: Yes. And that damages the skin. Bringing mindfulness up means that now we're going to start taking control to seize the object, to make sure that it's a long breath. If you're you're mindfully breathing shallow, then you've got no skin in the game at all. And the mind will just wander right away into monkey mind. Mm-hmm. But if you're intentionally making sure that every breath is a long in-breath and every breath is a long out-breath, that means sati on the in-breath and sati on the out-breath and sati on the next in-breath and sati on the next out-breath. And now we're developing the skill of sati.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Hey. So, and how we develop these skills is because we've got to put some skin in the game. All right, an example of that uh, would be a, a game on the computer, a computer game. Perhaps it would be a game of solitaire or a sudoku or even a, a, an action game like uh, um oh what are the uh
0: Call of Duty
2: or something <laughs>
1: uh I've forgotten there was one, uh, oh, oh, yeah a felony car chase or something like that or mm-hmm. uh, uh so when when a person is playing those games, while he's playing those, he actually picks up skills of the game. But if you're just watching somebody else play the game, and a, an example of that would be like Sudoku. You can watch an expert play an expert level of Sudoku and come away and you don't have a clue about how he figured out where those mm. squares went. Right, right. And that uh, uh, someone who's quite good at it, playing a simple game You can't keep in track. He can put a number here, there, 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 there. And you're just trying to figure out what he's doing because you haven't had the skin in the game that he's put into it. Mm -hmm. All right. So this is another point of looking at that with meditation. If you're going to learn how to play the meditation game, you've got to have your skin in it. You've got to take control of it. You cannot be a kibitzer in your own life, and yet many people try that. We just go along to get along, going along without paying much attention and not taking much control, and this is a very active meditation, okay? And where it is the most important for this active is to make sure that we are looking at the kind of thoughts that we have and allowing only high-quality thoughts into the mind. And throwing the other non-high-quality thoughts out of the mind. Yeah. Almost as if like that, you were a bouncer standing at the door at the bar. A very, very, very popular bar. Yes. It has a whole <laughs> lot of people trying to get in. And you're going to be there sussing them one after another. Do you get in? No, you're not well-dressed. You go somewhere other bar. Ah, oh, you're nice-looking, and you've got a nice guy with you. Yes, you're all well-dressed up. You can come into the bar, okay? And so we begin to make judgments on who comes in to the mind and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it winds up that the bouncer has other work to do. Why? It's because someone that he had already let into the bar now has become rowdy gotten to be drunk or something, and now this guy has been caught in the bar. He's got to be seized and thrown out. Right. Now, uh, the Buddha had a phrase for that that he used, and that phrase was, aha, I see you, Mara. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I see you, unwholesome thought in the mind. But guess what? That new thought, aha, I see you, is actually now a wholesome thought.
0: Mm hmm That
1: aha actually changes our energy level. It begins Mm -hmm. to put some enthusiasm in there. But most people, when they recognize, for instance, that their mind has wandered away from the breath, they will go into, oh, poor me, oh, poor monkey mind. Oh, I'm out of control. This meditation stuff is so hard.
0: Right, yes. Besides
1: that, my back hurts. Why (laughs) am I doing this? Okay, this is all... uh, um, Uh, points about that this is not the right correct practice and yet this Mm. is the practice that people wind up doing because they don't have the proper instructions. Mm. But once you understand the proper instructions then you can say okay I have to actually be that guard Mm. and that uh, the guard actually then has three qualities to him. One is Sati. In other words, you, the, the bar uh, um, uh, bouncer has to be there and look. Okay? He's got to be doing his job. He's got to be alert. The second thing is, is he's got to be a good judge of character, or in our case, thought. Is this a wholesome thought or is it not? This is where one's right, noble view comes in. And as the the view increases, what that means is, is that we're even better and better at seeing what is unwholesome or what is unsatisfying or unsatisfactory in Dukkha, and what is, in fact, third noble truth material, Mm -hmm. freedom suffering. So we can begin to have thoughts like, wow, this is so nice, this is freedom. Mm -hmm. No suffering, no worries, no problems here, right? These are wholesome thoughts. These are the kind of wholesome thoughts that we should begin to have. Uh, Wholesome thoughts about the body. Wow, this breath feels really nice. Wow, I can feel it all over my arms. So, wow, I can really feel that energy coming up my butt.
0: Mm. Okay,
1: This is the kind of thoughts that we have, that we're not here trying to remove thoughts from the mind. That's a little more, not only isn't it advanced practice, it's not even necessary. Mm -hmm. That if we can get our lives to where you have one wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought, thought after thought, 24-7, I don't think you need much of anything else out of the teaching of the Buddha. That those Mm -hmm. wholesome thoughts, that's the big one.
0: Okay.
1: Because wholesome thoughts means that number one, we're free from um, dukkha. Number two, we're free from hindrances. Number three, Mm -hmm. we're secluded from unwholesome states. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Which means now that the natural joy will arise. Especially if we help it along. We can talk ourselves into it. Like the kind of words we would have uh, would be part of the investigation of wholesome things. Because we've already investigated and found unwholesome things and out they go. So now all we're left with is wholesome things to think about, right? Mm. Wholesome thoughts like, um, this present moment is great. Wow, I feel really good. And we're actually talking to ourselves that we're actually noting this suka. I do feel secure now. I do feel safe. Mm. Because most of the day we don't feel safe. That's why we're so agitated. That's why we want to get the work done, that we've always got something to do, which means we're unsafe if we don't do it. So now we're going to be uh, feeling ourselves and talking ourselves into feeling really safe, really secure, really um, uh, comfortable and satisfied. Mm-hmm. And we can actually talk ourselves into it by first noting these things and to having our uh, discursive thoughts in that range. So, we think about, actually what we're thinking about is these jhana factors that Mm -hmm. we're developing.
0: Yes. Uh,
1: We're actually looking at the fact that I can keep my mind focused on the wholesome. I can apply it to the wholesome and sustain the wholesome. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Okay? If we can do that and do it sufficiently and for a while, then we gain confidence that I could do this. Mm.
0: Okay.
2: Speaking, nobody mentioned that. The confidence thing. I noticed that recently, so last time we spoke, I asked about dullness and uh, how to deal with that. And uh, the doing like those conscious, like longer breaths, make sure that there's enough air circulation going around around and stuff uh, really helps. I've noticed that it helps. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, that was really nice. Now, what I'm facing...
1: That's good confirmation because, in fact, when you tell me that, that, too, helps build confidence. Right.
2: So, now I have a...
1: Verification that it works.
2: Yes. But now that I... I'm paying attention that I'm touching my face. Uh, uh, So, now that I... So, I've been... Every sit that I do, I have... I get pity. And it feels like it's getting easier and easier to get pity. And in fact, it's getting so easier that I, I'm starting to doubt it whether or not this is actually pity because it's getting too easy. And I'm like, kind of, I don't know.
0: <laughs> and well, so. <laughs> that's because you were
1: sold a big pill of goods. What does that mean? It, well, Buddhism is sold like a religion. Mm. Which means that we do great big extraordinary things, magical things, powerful things. And people expect that out of Buddhism. Yeah. Where in fact what Buddhism actually gives is the gift of not much. Yes. Very little, in fact. Yes. So in you fact say the joke is when somebody says, Well, what is nihilism? The answer is there's not much to it.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: So you're saying that the it's a simple practice and therefore we have this idea that it's not simple and then when we, when we realize that it's actually rather simple and um, it leads to like well why, why is it so simple
1: or um, okay i would say offhand unless the student really checks things thoroughly with the teacher it's more than likely that the student is going to do things according to the way that he's done things before and wind up practicing anapanasati or meditation incorrectly. Because he's not practicing it correctly, he's not getting results. Because he's not getting results and he works very hard and still doesn't get any results, he thinks that the practice of meditation must be very difficult. The reason that there is only a few people who get good results out of meditation is because there's only a few people who are practicing correctly. As opposed to the fact that a whole lot of people are practicing correctly but very few people succeed. Mm. Okay, that's not the case. It's not that many, many people practice correctly and only a few succeed. It's that almost everyone practices incorrectly and only Mm. a few practice correctly and all of them succeed at it.
2: I see. Yes, I see what you mean. Yeah,
1: makes sense. Right. So most of people are not practicing correctly and that um, it's actually quite easy for some of the really important details of the teaching of the Buddha to just not get translated into Mm. Western Buddhism. And this whole point about having skin in the game is, is one of them. And also the one about you've got to uh, see what is wholesome and what is not wholesome and allow only wholesome thoughts in the mind, one after another after another. Those are the two reasons that most people um, are not successful in the practice of whatever they're doing, whatever they call it, whether it's Buddhism or Hindu, whether it is Zen, Vedrayana, Mahayana, uh, uh, Theravada, Mahasi, whatever it is, they all miss these two major ingredients.
0: Mm.
1: One, you got to have skin in the game. Mm. This is not a spectator sport. If you want right. your name in the uh, in the Hall of Fame or win a Heisman Trophy, you've got to actually go in and play the game and win it.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay? Yes.
1: But a lot of people, they want to have the recognition without having to put the skin in the game. They want to own the team rather than play the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, one of the things that I did
2: to like, so when I had this idea that, like, it's uh, maybe this is not PT, I was like, I don't know, maybe it's just. So I get like this tingling, buzzy sensation in my hands. Um,
1: and like the that can be called pity and it also can be the result of you just being alive. And now that you're paying attention, you're actually paying attention to the fact that you the body is is a living thing. It tingles, right? It's, it's vibrantly alive, and that's especially true when we're breathing well. Mm. And that these uh, bodily sensations have been associated with pity, but according to some deeper, uh, older Pali, it doesn't necessarily be that way. Mm. Okay? okay. Basically, what happens is, is that the pity uh, becomes very, very strong in the second jhana. Mm -hmm. And it's in the second jhana that the pity becomes very strong simply because we're no longer talking to ourselves about how we're feeling. We're spending almost all of our own moments in that sensation of feeling, of this buzzing, uh, delightful feeling. The hair on the arms will stand up, goosebumps. Mm -hmm. It feels like energy coming up and down the body, shivering, all of this kind of stuff is a physical manifestation of it, but the real issue of pity is attitude. Mm-hmm. And these physical sensations actually are brought about by the attitude of, wow, this is nice. Yes. Okay, and that, wow, this is nice, is the attitude that we're talking about that, that is developed through the winner's attitude of the, the, I know that I can do this. This is what it's all about. This uh, Another way of talking about it is, is that now for sure we know what the escape is, that there is an escape from dukkha, that we've got it, we can feel it, we can experience it, and that the more we're, we practice, the more we do with this, then the more and more surety we get, the more and more confidence we build, that absolutely we know that there is an escape, that this is the way out. Right. The Buddha has provided us a, uh, a back door, an escape, a mechanism. Yes. Okay. And it's not magical. And yet these uh, things like pity and sukha are considered magical only because the people who want them can't get them through desire.
2: Yes. Yeah, I see what you mean. They sound very
0: woo-woo at
1: yeah. times. It it's not it, but it's not woo woo it's not yes. this this is real stuff and that the the real stuff comes in the sense of confidence
0: mm.
1: okay that you're you're ready to go you can handle this there is no problem mm. this is the confidence and that uh actually the buddha talks about it uh this way this is an important point uh, and this comes out of Sutta number 48, uh, uh, the Kasavan Sutta, uh, uh, Kosambians, uh, that's it, Kosambians is the name of the Sutta. And that he's having a conversation with a group of monks who are not getting along with each other. And he's talking about it in the sense that the problem is, is that they're not removing the hindrances.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, that once the hindrances are removed, then the monks can get along quite well with each other. But when there's hindrances in the minds of these young monks, that means that they're just spreading their hindrances between them, among themselves. Okay, so once the Buddha makes sure that we understand what is an obstruction, what is a hindrance, he makes the statement that the student will uh, come to know that no matter how obstructed the mind is with these hindrances, he can clean it out. Mm -hmm. This is the first knowledge that is noble, super mundane, a factor of the path, and not held by ordinary people. This is actually a sea change in the life of the human being. There are several of them. And the one of them is to gain this confidence that, hey, I'm in charge of this mind here. I
3: mm-hmm. have
1: taken control over it enough to where I know that I can, again, take control over it any time that I need to take over it, no matter what is going down, no matter what it is, is hindering me.
0: Mm.
1: Okay? Even if I'm being rustled to the ground in handcuffs. For a lot of people, that would be a hindrance.
3: Mm. Think
1: about all the thoughts you can have while you're on the ground, face down in the dirt with the cop on your shoulders, Mm. while he's got you handcuffed. Right. Okay. Yes. If you struggle, Mm. he's going to stay there. But Mm. if you relax, he'll get off of you. Right. Right. Isn't that amazing that when we struggle...
0: Because things we worse. don't like
1: what's going on, we make things worse.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I've also, I think, kind of verified that throughout my life, and I've noticed that is indeed the case. And um, so... So how do you deal... Okay, so are you saying that doubt naturally fades away once the... the uh, practice doubt
1: doubt is replaced by confidence okay and there are three layers of doubt that have to be melted away
0: Okay.
1: the one that we're talking about here is the second level of doubt that you there is no possible way for you can get to the point that you know that no matter how obstructed the mind gets that you can clean it out and come back to this present moment to be here now and that you know that you can do that that's actually the eradication of the second doubt okay so let's okay so let's go through the three doubts yes the first doubt is you walk into a room and there's a great big mess in that room you left the room okay. before it was okay you walk back in and now the room is a mess what's your mm. first thought
0: uh Oh my God, I have
2: to clean all this thing up and I can't? I don't know. Something like that. Well, that
1: that means that in that regard, you have just gotten over the first doubt. Oh. Because most people, when they walk into that room, they'll ask the question, who made this mess? Oh,
2: I see. Okay.
1: Okay. That basically, when, uh, so now the room that we walk into is our own life.
2: It's a dismissal of. Responsibility is that what you're saying like it's
1: exactly personal okay. responsibility is the first doubt okay. who's responsible for the mess of my life
0: mm.
1: and people will go to the psychologist hoping that the psychologist will help them untangle the mess they will mm. go to a priest mm-hmm. they will go to a baptism right. they I will see. go to a medical doctor mm. they will go to a shyster Many shysters, one after another, after another, always hoping that someone will sell them something that will make them feel better.
0: Mm. And they
1: always are disappointed. Mm -hmm. This is why the second noble truth is so important. It's so profound that we can actually begin to make progress on the path of the Buddha. Only after we understand not that there is suffering, that it exists, but that the cause of it is inside. Mm. What do we mean by that? My own personal greed, wanting things I don't have. Mm
0: -hmm. My own
1: personal will-will, wanting to get rid of stuff that I've got to put up with. Mm. And the delusion that I'm out of control. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that is the delusion and it's these three things, especially delusion, it's our delusional thinking that keeps us wanting things and trying to fix things that aren't broken, etc. like this, thinking that we will feel better if we can fix it.
0: Mm. Yes.
1: (laughs) Without recognizing, oh no, the fixing has to be done now in that second noble truth, it's the fixing on the inside so that's the first doubt that we have who's going to make my life better the answer is there's only one person who can do that and that's the one who is in inside
0: okay
1: yes nobody on the outside is going to help you okay that the zen master can do a little bit but he does the zen master does not know what's in the minds of the meditators but he can can tell when someone is not in the room that they're in, lost in thought. Because if he walks up behind them and they don't straighten up just a little bit, or give him some message to know that they, that the student knows that the Zen master is there, he's going to whack them with that <laughs> Zen stick. Right? Yes. He's going to let them know, "Here I am. You didn't what? You're not paying attention." Okay. But other than that, the Zen master doesn't know what they were doing. Doesn't know what they were thinking. Mm, right. Right. Okay. He could oh, that, have been thinking about the Zen master coming up behind him.
3: <laughs>
0: he, yes. he
1: could have been yes. thinking about what happened on the other side of the planet or something that happened long ago or the girl that's yes. sitting beside him or whatever it is. We don't know what's inside somebody's yes. mind, but we can see some of the mindfulness as to yes. whether they're uh, exposing it uh, with bodily movements. Yes. But normally, if we don't know what's in anybody's mind, if the doctor doesn't know who, what's, on, uh, what's on anybody's mind, how can he possibly help fix that? Only the guy who's having those thoughts knows that these thoughts are unwholesome.
0: Right.
1: All right. So, that's the first doubt. The second doubt is, are you up to the task? Can you do this? And we just covered that. But that sutta is talking about the answer to that question is no matter how obstructed the mind gets. I can clean it out and come back to this present moment. I can do that every time I remember and I'm practicing to remember often, okay? This is the eradication of the second doubt. Okay. Of knowing that, I can't, that I'm that i in charge here, not that I should be in charge, but that I am in charge. Okay. So that's okay, the so- second level of doubt. Go ahead.
2: So- so if i'm understanding you correctly the first doubt is the uh recognition that that it is our responsibility to do uh do the things we must do the, the changes that in, and uh, it isn't like to blame on something or someone else or that uh it's a kind of recognition that we can do it and that it is our responsibility to do it And. And the second one is kind of like it doesn't matter how hard or difficult or complex the situation is, uh, it is possible to uh, take responsibility over it and do something about it.
1: Is that something like that? Exactly so. Exactly so, except that I would take the hard or difficult parts out. Okay. Okay. because those are attitudes. It's, it doesn't matter whether it's hard or difficult. It's how I observe it. Is it hard or difficult? The answer is no, it's not hard.
0: Yes, OK.
1: OK. Right.
0: So the, the hard or difficult is already. The hard and ahead.
1: difficult is a kind of,
2: uh, it's a kind it's of judgment hindrance.
1: already, right? Yeah. It's right, it's a, it's a judgment. It's a hindrance. Yes. It's an unwholesome thought. This is hard. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, This yeah. is hard. That's a hindrance. And it hinders us from being absolutely successful, absolutely joyful. Mm -hmm. no the right word to use is this is easy Mm -hmm.
0: yes yes
1: officer I really enjoy you being arresting me right now let's have a ball at it (laughs) make those handcuffs really tight now
0: (laughs) okay yes
2: I think I I got what, what is the next one then
1: all right so after we gain skill In the first jhana, this is actually coming up to, uh, or let us say, visiting often the first jhana, because in fact, uh, in order to have our mind completely clear. But once we've gotten beyond that, we get into the full-on practice in the first jhana, where we actually now are noting very wholesome things. Mm -hmm. Especially we're noting things that are associated with the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Noble Path in the sense of, this is dukkha. Oh, this is what I'm doing that causes that. Oh, this is freedom from dukkha. And then on the level of the path, we can say, I see you is unwholesome. Okay, so that's one's right view. We can also ask ourselves questions like, how's my sati? How is my effort? Am I putting in enough effort on this? Okay, and so we start evaluating, how's our our skill levels going? This is something that's wholesome to do, is to actually, in a way, to congratulate ourselves for, yeah, check it off, I've got sati, yeah, check it off, I've got right view, yeah, check it off, I've got right effort, yeah, check it off, I've got right uh, attitude, okay? So with this, there is a new level of understanding that comes, and that understanding is hot diggity dog, the Buddha is right. The Eightfold Noble Path and the Four Noble Truths is, in fact, the path. Mm. This is the path for me, and all of the other crap that I've been doing is not the path. So this third knowledge, then, is the knowledge which eradicates the doubt with the knowledge of this is the path.
0: We know sounds what like is the
1: path f- and like what one of is not the path. Pardon?
2: Uh, that that almost sounds like one of the fetters.
1: The 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 yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, okay, that's exactly what I'm going through.
2: Precisely
1: okay. the fetter of doubt, and the fetter uh, of doubt is eradicated with the knowledge and vision of what is and what is not the path. Okay. Along with that, when we are in the first jhana, then we recognize. That we are not in a um, a woeful state of selfishness, mm. which means that we can observe ourselves not being a self or in selfishness, mm. and we can recognize, in fact, there is no self. There is a human being, there is a personality, but that personality is not fixed. Mm. Once the personality is there, doesn't mean that it's not changing, that it's permanent. Everlasting, and um, those kind of things. That in fact the personality is still dynamic, and there's no self or entity in there that is itself a self. Okay, right. like the, uh, like for instance, a car. Now, in the time of uh, 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 Melanda and uh, Nargajuna. They didn't have cars but they had a chariot and the king was asking Nargajuna about this and the, and the, uh, uh, Nargajuna says with your permission sir I'll give some orders to your men and he had them take the chariot apart so that the wheels are over there and the red pole is there and the baskets over there and then the, uh, Nargajuna asking him where's the chariot
0: right
1: where is the chariot there's no chariot there Mm -hmm. Right? That's the important thing that what a chariot is, is a combination of system components and when those system components are not put together properly, or they're spread about, then there is no uh, chariot
0: there. Yes.
1: Okay, the same thing was with a clock. No doubt when you were a kid, you took a clock apart. Yes. Yes you know the ones that have the gears and the wheels yes, and all of that I kind know. of stuff yeah. right okay guess what when we take the clock apart it's no longer a clock now it's just a bunch of gears and springs mm-hmm. and things like that it's okay. got to be put together right exactly in the in the way that it was designed in mm-hmm. order for you get the functioning of the clock out of it mm-hmm. so the clockness doesn't exist right. it's, it's just no a clock it's an idea Concept, it's just though. an idea, it's a concept that's put together, and it has a new benefit, like you probably heard that uh, in system theory, that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a, a practicality to it, a usefulness to it. But
1: uh... Right, exactly, and so the, uh, the, uh, the whole uh, that's greater than the sum of the parts for the car or the, the chariot is transportation.
0: Mm-hmm. right
1: yeah okay uh the um the clocks parts when that's put together correctly then uh, uh I have to say it, it says the way. time no no
0: what oh.
1: what you do have though is ticking oh
0: right okay ticking yes.
1: regular ticking and it goes clap clap <laughs> clap and every time it does it moves that uh uh, um, uh hand hmm hmm.
3: OK.
0: So OK.
1: We then have the delusion that that tells time. Yes, all, all the clock is doing is measuring distance and measuring it accurately. So think about a big grandfather clock that's got a pendulum. Right? What is actually uh, the calibration to make that clock accurate? is exactly how far it goes back and forth and the time it takes of that pendulum. So what that clock is actually recording and measuring is the movement of the principle. How far did it go back and forth from here to there, back to there, back and forth and back? Now, the obviously answer is it's not going anywhere. It's still there. But we're not talking about the fact of location. We're talking about a movement. Yes. Just like time for the human, actually got started because of the movement of the planet Earth. Yes. And we think we know what a year is, but now that they know how to measure a year, they find out that every year is a different measurement.
2: Yes, it changes a little bit all the time.
1: 2020 was not exactly the same length as 2019.
2: (laughs) I think like four years ago or something, they actually added an extra second or something, um, or five years ago, something like that. But yeah, um, so what, what are you saying is that time is, uh, is like, mm, it's I'm like. saying change. that time
1: does not exist. Yes. All we Just... have is now and here. Okay. And that uh, time is nothing but the distance between here and there. Yes. Okay, so uh, in the reason that it takes time to get from here to Bangkok is because of the distance. Mm, Mm -hmm. That's what really is there is the distance, not time itself. That's why this is a concept of um, uh, Einstein when he understood that space and time are the same thing. And he Mm -hmm. calls it space-time. This is space. It's a distance. That's what clocks measure. They don't measure time. They measure a distance instead. We don't know how to measure time because it really doesn't exist. All we can measure is distance. Right? Isn't, isn't that amazing? Yes.
0: Uh, okay.
2: Sorry. Go ahead. Go
1: ahead. Okay. So, in that, in this regard of um, the time, then is irrelevant, and that what we can recognize is is that um, the thing for us to Uh, spend our mind moments doing is thinking about uh, the Dhamma, thinking about how to apply the Dhamma in the sense of what's going on right now. Is this Sukha? Is this dukkha? Is this uh, uh, Pitti? Is the mind straight? These are the kinds of things that we want to do uh, without any regard to, to time or postures that we're in but rather that we're going to spend our time looking at wholesome things this, and the time that we're spending is just right now that's all, I, I don't ask you to do anything next week just yes, right the, now, always just right now
0: Yes. <laughs> okay. always
1: keep a wholesome thought right now, knowing that you can do this and so this is what we mean by then Knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path. Now, there's also a hooker to that. And that is, is that is uh, that what is not the path is something in particular that we have always thought was the path. Mm-hmm. Okay, what is not the path is everything that you ever learned. Right. All the stuff that you learned from your parents, all the learned stuff that we got at school, all the stuff that we uh, uh, pick up from society in general,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: all of that stuff, regardless of how much we learn or how much we get, none of it uh, arrives at the state of freedom. Mm -hmm. They all are insufficient. Yes. Everybody goes out feeling bad. Okay, that's why they we understand that if the, if we're talking about what is the path to freedom, that everything that we've been doing up to now is not it. Yeah, the Buddha has a particular word for this, and the word is Bhatta paramasa, and it's referred to as the second fetter. Fo-
3: okay,
1: silabhatta paramasa. Uh, in psychology terms, uh, Freud called it the superego, and mm-hmm. Eric Byrne called it the parent ego state. Mm-hmm. We can also think of it as critical thinking, judgmental thinking. This is good, this is bad, I like this, I don't like that. And this is all uh, judgmental, critical thinking that has a layer of ignorance built into it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what we're doing is we're changing that, intentionally changing our thought pattern from being critical into being nurturing. Okay. Almost as if we could say, dang it, I haven't been mindful lately. Okay, that's just more criticism. Into, mm-hmm. oh wow, now is okay. I can remember finally. Good boy, you finally remembered. You've remembered. Good for you. Okay, so now we're nurturing. This is how we start to do it, is we start nurturing everything,
0: sure.
1: everything is okay, everything is all right, everything is fine, no worries, no work to do, anything that needed to be done has already been done, and so these are the kinds of words that we want to use while we're sitting in meditation, just to promote ourselves to ourselves yes to promote it in this present moment, not in the sense of, oh, I'm going to go out and slay a dragon. No, we're not talking about that. No, slay the dragon. That's the thought about slaying dragons. That's the only <laughs> dragon that needs to be slain.
0: Yeah,
1: right. I don't have to think about slaying dragons. Okay, so this to Paramasa is uh, considered a fetter writes rules, and rituals, and it goes right along with the first petter, of personality view. And that what we have to understand is, is that you can change. You see, the, I think that the biggest issue that the Buddha had in his time was the same as we have with Christianity today, because Christianity has the concept of original sin. Mm. I mean, you can't be good on your own because you're already originally polluted and in a way they're right going all the way back to somewhere there must have been some Adam and some Eve that -hmm. began to get judgmental and by doing so they judged themselves right out of their own paradise Mm
0: -hmm. yeah
1: right Right. okay so uh, that's original sin but that doesn't mean that we are uh, bound by it that we do have some choices right and so the, the one-two punch, or actually it's a one-two-three punch. The first punch is that of I can change. I am not my personality. I don't know who I am, but I'm certainly not who I thought I was. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right. And that, uh, we don't have that kind of thinking when we remember something that's in the past, that we remember a wrong behavior, a bad deed, something stupid we did, something stupid we said. And I'm even speaking in that language intentionally. We said something stupid, which means that now I am still right now my past that happened five years ago. Yeah. The answer is no. You are not what you were five years ago. You are something brand new right now. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. You're capable of change. Uh,
2: That that is reminding me of. uh... (laughs) So today, I woke up. I. I noticed that I'm touching my face. Uh, <laughs> uh, so today I woke up, on a, uh, I had like kind of a bad dream, and I woke up, and then I was kind of like feeling bad about because it was a bad dream. And it kind of was like making me feel bad, and then I realized that I that I don't have to. <laughs>
1: And uh, then it became much better. Yeah. I don't I don't have to think about the thoughts that I was having in that bad dream. Uh, Yeah. All right, that is not who I am now. I'm something new now. Always beginner's mind, always something brand new. Let's not deal with the past. So Mm. that's what we mean by sila bata paramasa is dealing with the past or dealing with the way that we learn to live with society's rules. You couple that with the possibility that I am not a fixed being, that I am not, in fact, ruled by or subject to all of those rights, rules, rituals, promises, woulds, shoulds, and coulds that I've stored Mm -hmm. in my mind. I'm not those things. And not only that, but those things are making me unhappy when I think about them. So this is now the first two fetters, the fetter of personality view and the fetter of... Uh, uh, our past, our rights, rules, rituals, shoulds, rules to follow, uh, everything like that. And now the third one is that level of doubt, the eradication about the doubt about, well, what do I do now? The answer is the Eightfold Noble Path and the Four Noble Truths got it wired. Okay. I know for sure without a doubt that who I am is not important. I know for sure, without a doubt, that if I follow society's rules, I'm going to wind up in pain and suffering.
0: Okay. So it's a kind of...
1: So
2: recognizing it, that doubt is actually is happening at that moment, is almost, it almost seems like it's sufficient in a way that it automatically leads to more wholesome thoughts because we recognize that it's doubt, and therefore, that's kind of it already almost.
1: Absolutely, yes. Okay. Okay, and as you practice that skill of uh, 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 discernment is the word they use. The discernment to know what is wholesome and what is not wholesome is a skill that will be developed. Yes. And it will be developed so that things that you thought used to be unwholesome uh, or that you thought were wholesome, now you see that they're unwholesome. That is, your discernment gets better, more and more and more gets put into the unwholesome, and fewer and fewer and fewer things get put into the wholesome.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay.
2: So I did, so I don't know if it was like two days ago or something, because I was having this, uh, I was questioning the, the PT. And so, like, it happens very often in my hands, not exclusively, but it happens very often in my hands, sometimes very mildly, sometimes kind of a, an explosion uh, of pity, um, or rather a burst of pity. And then you I was say like... You
1: feel it in your hands first?
2: Yes, it feels okay. in my hands.
1: Lower Walk part up of the, the arm, arm with your mind. Walk up the arm with your mind, saying, do you also feel it on your... Uh, can you feel... The goosebumps on on your arm. I can on it's uh so I can
2: feel it very often on hands and from the el basically from the elbow the elbow below, and Mm -hmm. and sometimes I can feel it in all my arms. Sometimes I can feel it in uh, my thighs a little bit as well, and uh, um, when a kind of like burst happens, uh, it is uh. It, it it almost like where, when the spread happens, and I have a really hard time. <laughs> it's like whenever I try to like spread the pity in the way that you were trying that you are conveying, I lose it, or or it starts to weaken it.
1: Uh, and uh, I that try. That be because you're trying to make it bigger and better. You're trying yes. to make it grow because you're not satisfied with the way that it is. Yes,
2: yes, it, it certainly is that.
1: It's okay. a kind of like uh, I want
2: more. It's, uh, I want
1: more. No, yes. we ha- that's that's a hindrance. More yes, I, more I, I recognize it. That you now you see that. Okay, yes. this is but this is the skill that we begin to develop is to recognize that we're all our own worst enemy. When we want something, then we automatically uh, go into a kind of an attitude of I'm missing something. Yeah, I don't have it's enough unsatisfactoriness already there. <laughs> and back into Duca again, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: And uh, well, one of the things that I did so like because because all of this like uh, that I was doubting my PT, like mostly the subtle ones, not these these not so much. These are kind of like bigger bursts, not so much. But these like subtle ones, like that, that happen in the hands uh, or lower part of the from the elbow below. It happens all the time, every sitting, pretty much. And they happen very quickly, like maybe five minutes in, 10 minutes in, and sometimes it's a little bit more subtle. And I was starting to doubt at least that subtleness. And so I was like, I don't know, maybe it's like my hand position that's like making my hands numb or something. So I'm going to test different positions, I, I figured. And I tried like two different positions, and I got PT anyway. Yesterday, I sat at work um, for like five minutes or so, and I got pity as well, so it doesn't. And I was like, okay, I think this is well, pity. No, what
1: you're talking about, though, is you're talking about a physical sensation. Yes, Right. I am talking in about hand. a physical sensation. Okay, all right. Yes. Let, let me make sure that you understand that pity, in, in reference to the word pity, is not these sensations of the body, it's the attitude of, I can do this. This is much more of what we mean by pity, uh, rather than, because if it were only bodily sensation, then it would be part of kaya. This is actually an emotional thing. Okay, the pity is actually uh, uh, the sense of, I I can do this. It's a a feeling of... um, uh, 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 confidence it i don't know another better word for it I've got this i've got it it. okay Uh, uh and the pity uh that you're talking about or the physical sensations also have a lot to do with breathing when you're talking about that you can breathe bring these sensations up what you're actually doing and i'll invite you to congratulate yourself for it is that you're actually breathing correctly you're breathing well and that the breathing Uh, will help make the body feel vibrantly alive, tingly alive. You're full of oxygen now and you don't have a whole lot of carbon dioxide as pollution. Okay, Okay. and so uh, we even if we're really tired, we can sit there and do some deep breathing and come right out of that tiredness. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that not
2: not all uh, physical PT or this tingling Sensation, not all of it is PT necessarily. It, it, it can, you're saying that it can be a manifestation that is being represented on the body, but it doesn't
1: necessarily
2: imply that it is always the case.
1: Right. But we do want to talk about it in the sense that it does have the feeling of euphoria. And having the body completely vibrantly alive has a quality of that euphoria. Okay. Yes. Uh, I think that euphoria is a better word because it's it's better understood than the word bliss. Mm -hmm. Bliss, I'm I'm not sure people even understand what the word means. Uh, But in euphoria, also has a huge aspect of enthusiasm built into it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's the enthusiasm that gives us the euphoria, not the uh, the high. Uh, oxygen content of the blood but they go together okay they, they yes. work really work together the body and the mind work together like this to bring about a, 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 an enormous sense of well-being
0: mm-hmm.
1: okay right. so uh, uh, work with it like that to also not pay just attention to the to the sensations uh, of the tingling whatnot but allow yourself to really, really like it. Okay. Okay, congratul oh yeah, there it is again. Wow, wow, that is yeah. so amazing. Ah oh, you know. Yeah.
2: That <laughs> okay. that's uh that feeling that, that feeling of feeling nice for being there happens all the time, I wanna say. But okay, I think that helped. I'll I'll investigate a little bit deeper. <laughs> so should I, for example, let's say that once like this subtle tingling arises, uh, should I continue to apply mindfulness on the breath and keep like kind of a, a secondary, kind of like peripheral awareness
1: of okay. the tingling? Or it, this, this we can understand it this way. If you are breathing long, slow, deep, easy, natural, relaxed breathing, then you're probably down to about uh, maybe six breaths a minute, maybe five breaths a minute. Five breaths a minute is a count of 12 or about 12 seconds for an in and an out breath, okay? 12 seconds, if the average mind moment is a tenth of a second, We're talking about in that 12 seconds, we've had 120 mind moments, which means that we have 120 opportunities for mindfulness, Mm -hmm. and we're only going to put a couple of those mind moments onto the making sure that it's a long in-breath and making sure it's a long out-breath, and that leaves us more or less 100 or more mind moments to do other things with. I have heard students talk about that even though I'm watching my breath, I still have these background thoughts. They're not in the background. They're just part of the mind moments. There they are. It just didn't last very long. You go to the breath, you go to the mind, you go to the breath, yes. you go to the mind. They're all right here in front of us. It's what the mind is doing. It's nothing about a background. Okay.
0: Yes.
1: So when we see it like that, then we recognize we've got plenty of time within that breath to do all kinds of things. We can go down through that checklist as I'm breathing in, how is my breathing? Good. How is my pity? Good. How is my um, uh, sensation and touch as I'm breathing in? That's good. As I'm breathing out, how is my investigation skill? How is my sati? How is my um, effort? And so we can uh, apply parts to the April Noble Path and review those. The Buddha would call that completely wholesome. He puts that on list of objects that are worthy of paying attention to. Mm-hmm. So, our pity, our sukha, our uh, lack of hindrances, the ability that we can apply the mind, sustain the mind, in other words, jhana factors, those are all items worthy of noting. Mm-hmm. How is my equanimity? How is my investigation? How is my uh, uh, relaxation? Aspects of the um, seven factors of enlightenment would be things that we could uh, uh, be noting. So, uh, uh, how does perception work? How does consciousness work? In other words, we can begin to pay attention to actually how the mind itself works Mm -hmm. as a very wholesome way of spending a couple of three mind moments or, or a few. Okay, so while you're breathing in and while you're breathing out at uh, the rate of uh, five breaths a minute, that gives us 12 seconds, and we can pop over 15 or 20 items in that one in and one out breath. And then we got another in and an out breath, and we can go down through that whole list again. Right. Okay. And so Anapanasati is actually a kind of a complete meditation because uh, we're getting the mind in a wholesome state so that everything that is wholesome is worth ob- observing now here's something that's very interesting and that is is that uh in normal metting meditation the noting means to note whatever there is there mm-hmm. well if there's hindrances they're there to be noted bad feelings anger sadness uh uh woeful states feeling like you're in hell or afraid all that kind of stuff yeah. But we're not going to be doing that because we've already gotten the mind into really wholesome states so we're not going to be investigating unwholesomeness we're only going to be investigating really wholesome things like how does the mind work what is perception what is consciousness what is feelings how do i feel how do i perceive myself into feelings how do i talk myself into it
0: mm.
1: You've heard me say many times you've talked yourself into feeling bad now it's time to talk yourself into feeling good notice yes. that happening notice mm-hmm. that process notice this interconnection between the feelings and the mind mm-hmm. these are things that are wholesome and worth investigating yes well
2: one thing that's very i don't know if that counts but when you said like this last part of like the feelings and the mind and the sensations and all that stuff the one thing that I noticed is that uh, I think I've also heard someone say that and but it was that emotions they are very physical in a way for example, like um like the the and anxiety anxiety is like a kind of like tightness in the chest. you can feel the physicality of it or the that the uh, like the like a, a nervousness is a sweaty palms stuff like that, uh, mm-hmm. and so I've got uh, there's the a a kind. List. Of, yeah, yeah. There's a, I've
1: got a whole list. Okay, when, when we feel sad, we feel really uh, an empty uh, sensation in the gut.
0: hmm Yes. Yeah.
1: When we're angry, the the uh the throat will tighten up, and sometimes mm-hmm. even our fists will ball up. Mm. Okay, things get really tight when we're angry.
0: Yes, when we're yeah. really
1: anxious and uptight, we feel like we got to go someplace. the, the, yeah. the body is full of uh, adrenaline and we yeah. can feel it right here in the chest, mm-hmm. a tightness, mm-hmm. okay? Yes, this is exactly right. So you can see in fact the body is a, um, uh, is completely a, uh, uh, a mechanical electrical chemical system. And that that uh, electrochemical system is controlled by the mind, but it operates throughout the body. So the reptilian yes. brain will communicate with the pituitary and the penile glands that they have right back here, the pituitary and the penile gland. And they communicate directly with through the granular system to the adrenaline gland. This is how the adrenaline gets pumped up. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Where is the adrenaline uh, gland? It's in the back. Mm -hmm. Halfway up the back, and it sits just where? Right on top of the kidneys. That's remarkable. Why? Because the adrenaline gland gets his uh, poisons, his junk, to manufacture adrenaline right out of the kidneys.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm Hmm? And he manufactures it and it throws it right into the bloodstream and then it starts to collect wherever we have blood collected the most. Well, where the most blood in the body is, is around the heart and the lungs, right in here. That's why that adrenaline feels weird here.
0: Mm, I see. Okay.
1: Uh, to where anger is much more of a uh, defense mechanism. And the example that we could use is be a lion in the mane of a lion. Now, when h- lions are on the hunt, like taking down a wildebeest, they'll they'll put their claws in his haunch to get on him. But how do they go for the kill? How does the actual lion kill his prey?
2: Uh, by jumping on it? I don't.
1: Know. No, he's already jumped on it, and the uh, wildebeest is still skating right along with a lion on his back.
2: Uh, by chasing it. No. Nope.
1: By grabbing it by the throat and biting oh, into it, it. it, right? I see. It. So, how do lions then fight each other? Is with that same technique. Therefore, the lion who has the most protection on his throat will be the survivor of that battle. This is why lions have manes. Mm, okay. Is to protect the throat.
0: Mm.
1: Okay this is exactly part of the DNA that we have wound up with as humans is why when we get up tight we actually do get up tight right up here <laughs> this is where we get up tight
0: and the yeah. shoulders
1: tense up and we are protective and you know all this mm. kind of stuff all right I see physical manifestation so the body is affected by this chemistry and also the body because of activities will affect the chemistry also in the sense that if you have the uh a fear and the feeling of flight or fright and you get up and you flee or you get up and fight then that's one thing but if you sit there in fear that's another Mm, in other words we became afraid so that the body would produce those chemicals so we could use those chemicals to do something And here we are now in a civilized society and we get all uptight and we get ready to war and there's no battle.
2: Right, right, yes.
1: No place to go. And so we're left with all of these chemicals in the body.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Those chemicals also affect the mind.
0: Mm, of so course. if
1: we have good chemicals in the mind, then we're going to have better chemicals in the blood and the better chemicals in the blood will give us more relaxed feeling in the body. If we've got really uptight thoughts, that's going to have uptight chemistry in the brain, which is going to give mm-hmm. us uptight chemistry in the body, making us feel uptight and needing to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. So there's an interrelationship that we need to also look at. This is in fact covered in Anapanasati. In step eight, when we can see that the feelings are the mind's conditioner, how we feel conditions our thoughts, and how we think conditions our feelings. Our feelings then condition the body, but the body can condition the feelings, and the feelings condition the mind, and so it's a mm. three way circle that we get in. Okay, All right. So, if we can see that, that's good. To recognize that process but we want mm-hmm. to do it by observing that how uh by observing that i can relax we don't need to watch how we get ourselves uptight until we're actually getting ourselves uptight but if we're in a wholesome state we can see so much better if you get really ticked off at me it's going to be really hard for you to hear what i have to say
0: right yes exactly
1: we just can't mm. hear. We can't. I mean, when when we're full of agitation and anxiety and and uh, mm-hmm. uh, anger and whatnot, it's almost like the brain just switches off. Why is because yeah. the body is getting ready for battle, mm. and we don't need no blood in the brain.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: We need it for fighting. Okay. This is a holdover yes. from very very ancient times. The human body evolved. To where we are now, but our society evolved faster than the body has, mm-hmm. Yes. so the human body is still 100,000 years ago, and here we yeah. are all into 2020s society, and things don't mm-hmm. fit very well together. We yeah. haven't evolved very fast. <laughs> yeah,
2: at least all kinds of issues. Um,
1: Raising all kinds of issues, but the solution to that is, is let's actually live here in the here now rather than living in our own past Mm
3: -hmm. because
1: we lived our life as if our our lives were dangerous i think if there's anything that uh, students of Anapanasati come to understand is is that life is not dangerous life is to be completely enjoyed while it's Mm -hmm. here it's not going to be here long but let's let's enjoy it while we've got it okay Instead of trying to keep it, you see, most people are think life is so precious they got to work really hard to keep it.
0: I noticed that. Yeah.
1: And then we're not enjoying it.
0: Hmm. We're
1: preserving yes. it. It's like having our cake and not eating it, and then the refrigerator uh, for two weeks, and the cake is old, and now we can't eat it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> there's never actually an enjoyment of the thing.
1: Right, uh, so now is the time to really enjoy our lives. Let's talk ourselves into being in a really good state so that we can really enjoy what we're doing.
0: Right.
1: So, um,
2: I also wanted to ask about uh, what are your thoughts on uh, meta, and uh, how can and just I? Just
1: some thoughts.
2: Yeah. Let's
1: talk about it a little bit later when we can go into it more detail. Okay. But metta is, and when we're thinking in, in meditation practice, when we're thinking about metta, we're thinking about wholesome thoughts
0: mm-hmm. generally.
1: I, but it is dangerous because we can fall into hindrances even when practicing met, metta. Yes. In the sense of, may all beings be happy except him. <laughs> 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 oh, I don't want him yeah. to be happy. <laughs> right. Yeah. I see. Okay, so, yeah. so there's all kinds of ways we have to be careful that, yeah, meta is mostly wholesome. Let's make sure that it is. is.
3: Mhm.
2: Yeah, so it is totally okay to like just implement meta into the
1: uh, practice of anapanasati, right?
0: Or, yeah, I feel good.
1: You could, uh, with, with thoughts of, wow, wouldn't it be nice if everybody felt this good? Right. Now that's real meta.
0: I see. May okay. all
1: beings be happy is something a loser says. That's the victim's <laughs>
3: May
1: all beings be happy. I would like to be happy too. May I and all the others be happy? Yeah, but I'm unhappy. Okay, so no, we got to, in order to practice meta correctly, we've already had to have the mind in a wholesome state. Okay. And then it would be wholesome. Okay. I see. So we can do it during the... You can use meta for flattening the mind. Yes, Yes. you can flatten the mind with meta. Yeah. So, uh,
2: well, I usually do it in the end of a session. Not all the time, but sometimes. And uh, I was starting to, like, wonder. Maybe it would be, like, nice to do it in the beginning as well. And then... uh, When you
1: think about it. Okay. And then when you think about it, you're thinking about it right now, and so you do it right now. Okay. I don't know about beginning and ends of sessions.
0: All right. Because the beginning of
1: the session is happening right now, and at the end of the session is happening right now.
0: (laughs) Okay. Sure. Yeah, okay. Um, Yeah, I think I had uh,
2: more stuff to Ask.
1: Oh we'll call next time. You can there's plenty of time. No yeah. problem.
2: Next week I should be able to do it like during the, the reason week. we have
1: so much time, by the way, is because time doesn't exist. We've already covered that.
2: <laughs> it's just measurable change, measurable distance.
1: Right. But you uh. can call again, no problem. We can talk about it. There are many many questions will come up. In fact, okay. the, uh, the later questions almost always usurp the, for, the, the formal questions. And quite often when I'm answering one question uh, to a student embedded in that answer is the answer to his second, third and fourth question anyway.
3: Right, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. So excellent, Johnny. I'm really glad you called. This has been a delightful conversation.
2: Yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. Uh, I'll I'll do my best to apply what has been uh, discussed here, and uh, yeah,
3: and you I'll call. Do
2: that.
1: Yeah. Don't try, <laughs> not even your best. Just enjoy it. Right.
2: Uh, enjoy yes. <laughs> yes, I'll do it, and I'll call. I'll call some other day next week, I think, because uh, my work schedule changed again, and so I should be able to have more free time during the week rather than weekend only so but yeah
3: okay so <laughs> right. bye bye